0: Good evening, we're we're glad to be with you tonight. Uh, I'm David, this is Valerie, and um, somebody said coming in that we are the uniting of the orange and the green, (laughs) and you know what, that is kind of true, Valerie was raised in a Church of Ireland background, she'll tell you all about that, and I was raised in a Roman Catholic background, but you know what, it didn't stay orange and green. It turned red. We are united in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really what counts. She's going to give her testimony first, uh, not because she has to speak first, all right, but because she got saved first, all right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That way, when I keep going on, he can stop me and say, enough, enough, enough. (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you for having us. It's wonderful to be here. Um, Brother Dave and Hazel are very, very dear to us. And as my story unfolds, you'll understand why. Um, I was born and raised in uh, Dublin, Ireland. Um, I think I'm in America. Dublin, <laughs> just, a few, just a few hundred miles away. Um, and I was born to a church of Ireland, in a church of Ireland family. My dad was a businessman. We were quite wealthy. And, you know, people will often say money can't buy happiness. And that's usually because they don't have very much. But we had plenty. And, you know, money doesn't always buy the happiness that it's supposed to. So, I experienced quite a lot of unhappiness as a young girl, and it started me searching for answers. So, the first time I heard the gospel, I was down in Coretown Harbour, which is down in County Wexford. Some of you have been there, I'm sure. And there was a little harbour there, and there was a gospel bus that would come into town, and there would be hymn singing, and there was Bible preaching right there in the village square. And myself and all my rich friends from up on the hill came down and listened and they were laughing and cracking up and joking but I wasn't laughing because I had grown up on the Bible and in that, at that time in the Church of Ireland we read the Bible all the time. The problem was I didn't know the power of the Bible, I just knew I would read the Bible but I didn't know the power of it. So um, we were all standing around, and at that time, I believe God sowed seeds in my heart that didn't bear fruit for many, many years on. So my husband and I met at uh, Sweet 16, and uh, even then we were hungry for answers. And I would say to him, you know, there's got to be more to life than this, there's got to be more to life than this. And so we would look, and of course all the cults are there in the streets of Dublin, as they are in all big cities, and we would talk to all the cults, and they were all there, and we never came to any real conclusions. So in 1980 we got married, and we decided uh, we would uh, straighten up, and we were kind of a bit wild in, in those days. We decided we'd straighten up, we'd get married, and then our two little children came along. And I came to a crisis in my life because... Like all good parents, I wanted to teach them about God, but I didn't know God. And I, <laughs> I actually went to the Catholic Church, I went to the Church of Ireland, I asked, I asked everyone I knew, why should I baptise my children? Now that seems very simple to you, but it wasn't simple to me. I didn't understand, and nobody told me from the scriptures what baptism was. I didn't understand what it was. So um, I started really searching in earnest. Now, back before Google, I got the yellow pages, (laughs) and I opened the yellow pages, and I started looking down the yellow pages for all the churches that were neither Catholic or Protestant in our area. And at the time, um, top of the list was Lifegate Bible Baptist Church, and my husband came home. I thought, didn't want any more arguing, arguing about what church we were going to go to. So I said, please come with me. And he wouldn't come with me. He said, no, I'm not going there. So um, I started attending um, Lifegate Baptist Church. I had never heard the gospel message before. In all my years, I had never heard the gospel message before. The only time I ever heard the gospel message was down sitting on the harbor wall as a young teen, 12, 13 year old when that little gospel bus came into town. So I heard the message again. Now, the night that I trusted Christ, your pastor, David Moore, was preaching. And do you know I can remember every word he says? If you want a rerun, I can give it to you because I remember every word that he said. He was speaking about the cross, but he was also speaking about Noah and how the waters were rising and uh, the the door was about to be shut and how um, then the opportunity would be over. And I remember there were tears in my eyes at the end of the service and I thought, that's me, that's me. I'm not in the boat. I'm not safe. I don't know Christ And I remember going home, and I was so uneasy. I didn't know the Spirit of God came home with me that night. And so I was putting up the dogs, and I was, you know, looking up at the hills, and I was thinking, this just won't go away. So that night, I knelt down in my living room, and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life and to cleanse me from all my sin and to turn my life around. Now, I was in crisis. I was absolutely at my lowest, and he did exactly that and turned my life around. So now I had a big problem because I had a husband who wouldn't even come down to the local Baptist church with me. So I started crying out to God. I said, oh, Lord, don't leave us like this because we'd always been very close. We'd always been very united. My husband was a great father, great provider. But now I was going to heaven and he wasn't. He was going to hell without Jesus. So I was in a desperate state. So I'll tell you a funny story, and then maybe you can jump in. Um, so uh, he, he phoned me, and back in the day when we had station wagons, this is how old I am, Brother Dave, we had station wagons, and he said, um, bring, bring the kids and come over and meet me. Now, I had been leaving gospel tracts all over the house, and uh, I had been uh, praying for him and speaking to him about the gospel. So um, anyway, he, he phoned me and said, come to McDonald's and meet me. So I met him, and he said, are you are not to embarrass me? So when I got to McDonald's, he said, um, last night, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. So what did I do? I embarrassed him. I cried. (laughs) I laughed. So now we were united, and we were one, and we were going on for God. We were as green as can be, as they say, green as cabbage. We knew nothing. We were starving. In fact, we were a pastor's dream. Every time Pastor Moore or Pastor Zameski would come to our house, we had about 100 questions. We could not get enough. We were like people coming out of the desert. So that was 30 years ago, um, more than 30 years ago, actually. It's mm. probably 34 years, 5 30, years. 36 years 36 years ago. ago. So within 18 months, we had um, sold our home and our business and we were on our way to Bible school, and we were five years in America in Bible school. And we learned more out of the classroom than we did in, because we didn't know what we could trust God for. But God showed us what we could trust God for, uh, which is just about everything. And then we came back, and we've now been in Dublin at Lifegate Baptist Church for 30 years. A couple of things I want to say, first of all, is... Um, Life really is meaningless until you meet Jesus Christ. If there's somebody here sitting on the fence, until you meet him, life is very meaningless and very hollow. But when I met Jesus, my life began. It absolutely changed everything. And I'm so grateful for your pastor, so, so grateful. Um, I can still hear the words he spoke that night, and I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit used him to speak to my heart, and that was the night I trusted Christ. So
0: thank you so much. Amen. Thank you, Amen. Thank you Val. All right, my, my story begins very differently from Val's. I was ra- raised in a working-class home uh, in a, a Catholic background. And it was a different Ireland back then. Uh, as far as we were concerned, uh, everyone... Uh, was Catholic. The whole world was Catholic. And we knew that there were some people called Protestants out there, but we never met any of them, so they really didn't exist as far as we were concerned. And Catholicism wasn't a choice. It wasn't even just a religion. It was just reality. Everybody uh, was, was Catholic. And um, <clears throat> The first two years of my school life were spent in a nun school. And by the way, I have to say about my education, I got a good education. <clears throat> I mean, I know there, were, there was weird stuff that went on in some of those schools, uh, but the education was, was pretty good. Uh, and Then after the nuns, we moved across to the Christian Brothers, and the education continued. Now, my first spiritual memory is this. I am not sure, and I don't even know what age I was. I had to be just six, seven, somewhere around there. But I remember very clearly one night... Waking up in bed and thinking, I don't want to go to hell. And I think that day in school they had talked about heaven and hell and about the cross and I remember being terrified that I was going to go to hell. So I got out of my bed and I came down to my mum and I told my mum how upset I was. I was terrified, I didn't want to go to hell. And and she told me what any good Catholic mother would tell you. She said, Be good and you won't go to hell. Now the problem was, I didn't know much, but I knew it couldn't be good. And I went back to bed in despair that night because there was, there was no way out of it. I was going to end up in hell uh, because I couldn't be good. And the only way out of hell was to be good. That was all the teaching uh, that I had. <clears throat> My second spiritual memory is this, as I went on in school and came to the place where, uh, almost leaving, the, the Holy Ghost Fathers came in, right? And they came in to preach what was called a mission in our school. And these men were experts in telling young boys all the sins that a young boy could do. I don't know where they found out, but they knew every sin a young man could do, and they talked about it. And I came under dreadful conviction. It was conviction of sin. But you know, they brought us under conviction of sin, but they never told us what to do with it. The answer was again, be good. There was no way out of it. There was no way to deal with it. And so I remember uh, being feeling horrible, but thinking, it's hopeless. Uh, there's no way. There's, there's, there's no way out of this. Um, and began to look for for truth somewhere. And then, as Val is saying, her and I met, and I was surprised, she was from a totally different background than me, but we were the same. Neither was new God. Now, we knew there was a God. And we knew it had to be possible to know him. But neither was new God. And so together, in those years, in our teens, our late late teens, uh, we really began to search. And we would go into Dublin City, and there was the JWs there, there was the Mormons there. Uh, She knew some friends who were involved in a a cult called the Kuniites. We went and visited them uh, at one stage. Uh, We did transcendental meditation. That was very disillusioning, by the way. Um, Because we did transcendental meditation and you learned your mantra, where you, you were supposed to meditate by. And you were told it was sacred. Nobody was to ever know. So, of course, we came home and we asked each other what our mantras was. It was the same one. <laughs> and they were after taking all this money off us to give us this, uh, this great mantra. So we were, we were disillusioned with that. We looked at the Krishna people. We looked at everything that was available, thinking there had to be some way uh, that we could come to know God. I knew it wasn't in Catholicism. Uh, she believed it wasn't in Protestantism. And <clears throat> there was the, the, But there was nobody that would just open the Bible and show us, here's the way. Here's the way. He's the, the way, the truth, uh, and the life. And so, as t- time went on, um, we settled down. Um, I started a business. Uh, we bought a home. Uh, we began to have children. And as far as I was concerned, life was good. Uh, life was going well. The money in my pocket. We had a nice home, two beautiful kids, uh, a beautiful wife. Everything, everything was going well. Everything was good. And I had plans I was going to make a lot of money, and I was going to retire young, and I, I, I can still show you the houses around the country. I was going to enti- buy a, a hip-roofed house in the country, and I was going to retire and just have a nice, easy life. That was the plan. I was going to do it by the time I was 40, right? I'm not sure it ever could have happened, but it was a good idea. It was a good plan, right? <clears throat> and then Val got dissatisfied, and I would come in, and I would find her crying, and she would tell me that she wanted to teach the children about God, but how could we teach the children about a God that we didn't know ourselves? And so the whole st- thing started again. And uh, we started visiting churches. And I wanted to go anywhere by this, st- by this stage of my life except to the Catholic Church. So we would go to the Methodist Church. We went to a Church of Ireland church. We went to all kinds of churches uh, around us looking for somewhere uh, where, where she could know God, because to be honest with you, at this stage, I was more interested in doing something good for the family than I was in really knowing God. I had my plans. I had my life. Uh, I really didn't want anything intrusive. That was going to spoil my plans and send me going in a different direction, so we went looking, and I was prepared to go along uh, and do the um, <clears throat> good husband thing, but really i wasn 't all that interested uh, in what was in anything that was deeper than that, and so uh, Val found this little Baptist church, and, and I, I did actually go with you a couple of times, right <clears throat> uh, be, before you got saved, but but I was going along with my shields up. there was nothing getting through. Uh, and, and there was no way I wanted anything that was that deep, right? See, I don't know. I think maybe the devil told me, but somehow I knew that if I let this in, it would change everything. Somehow I knew. I was. I was sure that that, that if this truth came home, uh, that everything was going to change. And and then, Val got saved. Now, Picture this I'm 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 going along for the ride we're we're a happy family and all of a sudden she's telling me she's going to heaven and I'm going to hell That's 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 pretty hard to take And um, I'm struggling with this and wondering what do I do with this and how do I work all this out. Uh, She's leaving leaflets around the house for me to read. She's asking me to read the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John was like a dictionary to me. It was just, it made no sense whatever. I mean, I I would try to read it, but uh, there was nothing in it that made any sense to me. Pastor Zameski started coming to our house uh, and he would come and interrupt my favorite night of TV. And, uh, but he would come and he would talk to me about the gospel and he would explain to me basically that I was a sinner on my way to hell and that Jesus had died to pay the price for my sin. And then we would, w- when we got to the place where I was going to hell, we would always fall out because I wasn't going to hell, I was a good guy. I, you know, Listen, I was good to my family, I was honest in my business. You know, There was no way I was going to go to hell. God might send rapists and murderers to hell, but he wouldn't send a good family man to hell. So night after night we would come to that place <clears throat> And um, we, we would just disagree, and, and, and he would leave. Uh, well, final night, he, he, he left me, as he was leaving, in, in desperation, I think, he left me some questions and answers about Christianity, just a simple photocopy. Questions and answers about Chris, Christianity, and I agreed to go through them. So after he left, I'm going down through them. And it came to a section on the commandments. very simple. It would state the commandment and ask, had you ever broken it? And so I'm going down through the commandments, and in my self-righteousness, I'm saying, no, 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 no. And I come to thou shalt not bear false witness. And I was in business, right? And I was late with an order that day. And what I had done is I had told a little white lie. No big deal. That's what you do, you know, get yourself off the hook. You just tell a little white lie. Well, the Holy Spirit wasn't buying my little white lie, but... The Holy Spirit was pointing out that you have sinned. And it quoted on that that whosoever should keep the whole of the law and yet offend in one point he is guilty of all. And the Spirit of God began to grind on me as far as sin was concerned. I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And I I began to see, you know what, it wasn't just little white lies either. Uh, I wasn't that good at all. Uh, And For the first time in my life, I realized that Jesus had died for the sins of the world. You see, I had always known that Jesus died on the cross. That had been my life as a Catholic. I had always known that he died for the sins of the world, but for the first time in my life, I realized he had died for the sins of David O'Gorman. And that hit me like like a lightning bolt. It was personal. It was between me and him. And... I also realized at the same time that if I rejected what he was offering me he would have no option but to send me to hell because I had a problem with sin he had made provision for it by dying on the cross and if I rejected it I would have to go to hell do do you know that that alone didn't convince me I remember wrestling and thinking but 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 if, if I do this, my life's going to change, and I like my life. I wanted my life. I, I, I wanted the life that I had. And, and on top of that, Val would be right, and I would be wrong. And man, you know how good that is. That's, that, that's not a fun thing. But that, that weighed heavy on me, you know, that I would have to give in. I would have to admit that she was right, uh, and I was wrong. And I remember wrestling back and forth with it before I went to bed that night. <laughs> And in all honesty, I I, I think back on that day, I think I could have actually said no, gone to bed, and I think I might have forgotten about it. I think I might have just put it away from me that moment. There was a choice to be made, but you know what? As I wrestled, I came to the place where I said, you know what, I need this. And that night, I knelt by my bed, and I asked the Lord to save me. And I jumped into bed real quick so I wouldn't have to tell anybody, all right? <laughs> but but I woke up the next morning and everything had changed. I woke up into a different world. I woke up into a world where I was saved. I was going to heaven. I was on my way. And whatever it it seemed like whatever happened in life after that was not really important because the most important thing had been sorted out. And it was just this wonderful. Reality of having trusted Jesus and he had saved me and I was his and I was going to heaven and I was absolutely convinced uh, <clears throat> that, that that's what was going to happen that I was going to go, go to heaven and <clears throat> I couldn't believe it it was just the most wonderful news you could get saved by grace you didn't have to be good I knew I couldn't be good you could get saved by grace that God could reach down and touch and save you and he had done it, and I—I I knew the reality was it wasn't something that was going to be done. It was—it was already done. Um, so Val told you the story about when I told her. So I—I I met her. I knew I had to tell her. I met her, and I knew that she'd uh, embarrass me, and she did embarrass me. Uh, but <clears throat> you know what? It didn't matter because I was going to heaven. And let me just tell you one little story uh, that I think is important in the the day and age that that we live in, too. Um, Before we got saved, we had been drinking. Now, it wasn't problem drinking, but it was regular drinking for me, at least. She was kind of fed up with it. Uh, But I would drink almost every night. You know, it wouldn't be a lot, but I would drink almost every night. And um, uh, it, it was a big part of our lives. If somebody had told me before I got saved that you couldn't drink after you got saved, that would have been a problem for me. Nobody told me that was a problem at all, but I got saved, and so I came home, I think two days after I got saved, and I went to sit down and read my Bible, because the Bible that had been a dictionary had all of a sudden become like a love letter from God to me, and I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, As I read it, the the Spirit of God was illumining, and it was just marvelous, and I sat down uh, in my comfortable chair at home with my Bible in one hand, my new Bible in one hand, and a gin and tonic in the other hand. I'm a new believer. What, what did I know? Nobody ever told me there was anything wrong uh, with drinking. And I sat with the with, with the drink in one hand and the Bible in the other hand. And I couldn't do either. I couldn't read the Bible. And I did not know, did not know what was going on. I had no idea wh- what the problem was. And I reasoned it out this way. You know what? If I have a drink, I'll probably have two. And if I have two drinks, I'm much more likely to do something that offends God. And so that night... We got rid of all the drink in the house and we've never drank since. God just took it away. Now, nobody could have told me to get rid of it. God just took it away. It was gone out of our lives completely and and has never come back into our lives since then. And I, I say that just to say this. You know what? If you're not saved, you have no idea the power that comes into your life when you're saved, the power to change you and to change things in your life. You have no idea what God can do in your life. Uh, don't, don't you look at all the things that you need to change. You just run to Jesus. He'll do the changing. Uh, he'll, do the, he'll do the changing. He will change things in your life. He, he will turn things around in your life. And uh, <clears throat> So now I'm saved. We're, we're going to heaven. We're, we're, we're so excited about the whole thing. Uh, our, our home now is a buzz. By the way, uh, all my dreams are forgotten at this stage. I, they really don't matter anymore because you know what? Uh, they've been eclipsed. Uh, by this great new knowledge that, that I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven. And so, of course, we start telling our families, because we are sure everybody wants to hear this. Everybody wants to know that you can be saved by grace. Everybody wants to know that they're, they're all waiting for us to hear. So we, off we go in our newfound zeal. And, man, do we get doors slammed in our face. Do we get uh, angry responses? We're absolutely amazed. Why would they say no? Now, <clears throat> my sister did get saved, and I remember, I remember my, my mother phoning me and telling me that I wasn't to convert Edel. And the only problem was, Edel had just gotten saved. She had just five minutes before that, trusted the Lord as her Savior. And, and what God did was, God put a burden in our hearts to actually tell other people about this wonderful news. But what God, was, what God had done in our lives and what He was doing, and so uh, we began to tell people about Him. And I began to think, "Hang on, what could you do in your life that was more important than spend your life preaching this message?" You know, if 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 this is the difference between heaven and hell, then isn't this the need uh, of of uh, uh, of every hour in the world? Aren't all the other problems in the world minimal by comparison to this? And so began to think, you know what, this would be a good idea. And so I'm not sure whether it was Pastor Moore or Pastor Zameski that told me we should pray about it. And so three weeks after I'm saved, I'm fasting and praying and asking God, does he want me to do something about this? Does, does he want this to be my life? And I can't explain it to you, but God spoke. And God said yes. That's what he wanted me to do. And so I'm, I'm all excited about this. Val was all excited about it at first, too. Uh, and then it wasn't so exciting when it meant that we were going to college and everything was going to change in our lives. But I remember, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Pastor Moore told me, uh, well, usually God gives you a verse. Uh, if, he's, if he's going to call you to preach, usually he gives you a verse. And I remember going and saying, okay, Lord, is there a verse I'm supposed to have as far as this is concerned? And the Lord gave me 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26, Let me read read them for you. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. And God has brought those verses back again and again and again in my life. I'm so thankful, by the way, that you that you you told me that I, I should know they know these because God gave them and they were they were so helpful uh, to me. You see, I, I live in a country that's dominated by Catholicism. You know what? There are people that are caught in the snare of the devil. You see, Ireland is not just Catholic as a religion. Ireland is Catholic as a nationality, which means that even if you're not truly Catholic anymore, and there are very few truly Catholic people in Ireland anymore, very few. There are very few people who know what it is to be a Catholic in Ireland. But even if you're not truly Catholic, you're bound to it by a national identity. So that when you step away from your Catholicism, it seems like you're being a traitor to your country. And in fact, people will say that to you. Uh, People will accuse you of that, of turning your back on. Ireland, the Irish people are people that are caught In the snare of the devil, they are taken captive by him at his will. But you know what? God can free people. It's a miracle. It's always a miracle. When somebody comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, it's one of the greatest miracles. You see, I I was there. I, I was being given the truth, but it didn't make any sense to me until God spoke into the situation. And when God speaks into the situation, he turns everything upside down and back to front and turns it around. And you see, that's what we're about with the gospel. Not just in Ireland, but in Northern Ireland. We're about the gospel that God says is the power of God, the dynamite of God, unto salvation. That's what we're about this week. There there, there are people out there that have no idea where they're going to spend eternity, you know them; they know you. They maybe like you. They have some respect for you. You know, you, you, you think if you if you ask them to come out, they would they would they would say no. Uh, they wouldn't want to do that. But you don't know. I never thought I would find myself in a Baptist church. I never thought I would find myself preaching. It's not in my nature. I think Pastor Moore, by nature, is an outgoing kind of person. I can see how he could be called to preach. But you know what? I'm not of the same nature as him. And I remember when it came to preaching, feeling, "This is I can't do this. And I remember having to make a commitment to God. Okay, whenever you give me the opportunity to preach, I will preach. Because I knew I couldn't do it and I was terrified of doing it. Uh, I don't know if you remember, my first sermon was on Isaac, right? And um, it it took about a week to prepare, and it took five minutes to deliver. (laughs) And uh, that that was all there was uh, in me. Uh, But you know what? There's the power of God. And when we allow the power of God to work, things happen that we can't happen, we can't make happen. People come that you can't make come. People come that you don't expect to come. God can do things that you and I can't do, and he does them in cooperation with us, or we in cooperation with him. So so let me encourage you. There are people out there in your area, in your sphere of influence, that are caught in the snare of the devil. And you know what? God has the dynamite to actually release them from it. We need to speak the gospel into people's lives. We need to spread the seed, spread the word, even though it doesn't seem like it's going to make a difference because God can do what you can't do. God can do what I can't do. So I was called to preach, and um, like I'm saying, the, uh, began to preach with terror. And after a while, it wasn't terrifying anymore. I learned to lean on God. Now, it's an area I've always had to lean on God in, on, and, and that's been good for me. You know what? It's good for you to step outside the place that you're comfortable in and do things that you can't do, because that's where God meets you with the miracles. Well, uh, God, God, God led us to go to college in the U.S. at that point, and um, again, we had no idea uh, what all that meant, we, we were we were young and full of faith and trusting the Lord, and anything was possible. And um, we were blind to a lot of the things that 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 that, uh, that were problems and difficulties. We made contact with different colleges, and and only one college was willing to help us, and that they would give us a job that earned us sixty dollars a week. Well, I had two kids. By the time we actually got to America, I had three kids. And um, we had enough money for for one year of college. And I look back now with with my, um, my saner, more mature self, and I think, how did we do that? But you know what? God was leading, and we did, and we spent four years there and learned a lot of things in school that weren't as much help as I thought they were going to be. But I did learn this. We did learn this. God can provide for you when you're doing what he wants you to do. Uh, The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And he did. He took care of us every step of the way. There, were, there, were, there was wonderful provision. There was God just stepping in uh, in moments when we were at the end of our rope and we couldn't. My, my mother-in-law and my mother, my mother got saved since, but my mother-in-law and my mother came to visit us, right, while we were in college. It's really a checkup visit because my father believed that we were giving all our money to the Colton and that we were, uh, we were really in trouble. And they came uh, just to check us out. Now We had a problem, though, uh, that we couldn't explain to them, uh, we were short of money and we hadn't paid the electricity bill. And so we're looking, we're looking at our situation and we're thinking, oh no, this is the end. and <laughs> uh, They're going to come, the electricity's going to get cut off and we're going to be uh, the laughing stock. We're going to actually prove them to be right. So Val is praying and she's saying, Lord, if you don't, if you don't do something, you're going to suffer a terrible defeat. Well, that night... Some friends arrived with some vegetables for us. They had they, they had some vegetables, and in the vegetables, when they left, they had left us seventeen hundred dollars uh, in cash. They had no idea we had a need. We hadn't expressed it to them. We had no idea they had any money because they weren't wealthy. They'd got a settlement of some kind and they wanted to share it with us. And we were able to pay the bill. And I could tell you story after story like that. Do you know, God is faithful. He meets the need of needs of his children. He will take care of you, and he will look after you. And so we went through college, and at the end of the end of the college, at the end of the four years, got a phone call from Pastor Moore. We had stayed in contact, and he had, he had come and visited while we were in the States as well. And we had stayed in contact, and he, and he told us that he was leaving LifeGate and would I be willing to candidate uh, and take the church? Well, <clears throat> that's the church we were saved in. Uh, that wasn't the plan. We, we, we believed we were going to plant churches uh, somewhere else. So we came home anyway. And um, as we came home, the Lord, the Lord was at work, and spoke with the church, and God confirmed that that's what we were to do. And so we've been there for the last 30 years now, and what you see in your life is you see the hand of God at work, just moving through all of it. He's got the plan. You don't need to have the plan. All you need to do is follow all you need to do is what God would have you to do each step of the way. And as you do that, what you'll find is that this God, who is in charge of everything, can do all that he said he will do. Let, let, let me leave you with this challenge for this night. Some of you have people that the Lord has laid on your heart to invite out. And you're saying, I've invited them before. You know, it's never going to work. Uh, they wouldn't come. And you know what the enemy does? The enemy tries to dissuade us before we ever try. You know what you should do? Try. Make a phone call. Make a visit. That person that you know has no greater need than the gospel. Make that call. Make that visit. Invite somebody out. And you know what? God will surprise you. Because God is in the business of surprising us. It's His power not ours. Let's be expecting, not just asking, asking and expecting that God is going to do something exciting in our midst in these next few days. Because like Pastor Moore says, we're, we're, we're not here uh, just to preach to the, to, to the choir. We're here because God has some people he wants to reach. It all begins in God. God has some people out there that he wants to preach. And you may well be Uh, the instrument that God uses to draw them to himself. So let me encourage you with that, that God can take and God can do anything. You just cry out to him. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you tonight, Lord, and we do thank you for your goodness and for your love. Thank you for the great salvation that you've visited on us and on so many in this room. Thank you for the miracle, Lord that touches lives and changes lives. Now, Lord, we come to you and we ask you, Lord, would you do it for others this week? Lord, would you pour out a blessing that we would see people walking through that door that maybe tonight can't even imagine themselves walking through that door? People that are resting in their souls, Lord, with with the need but don't know what to do about it. Lord, would you do the work, would you do the work through your spirit, go after people all around this community, all around the sphere of influence this people have, Lord, and draw people out. And Lord, may we see you do something exciting, something powerful, something like we know we can't do. And Lord, we're going to rest in you, we're going to trust you to do it, in Jesus' precious name,
1: amen.